Hey, teachers, before we get started, we have a quick announcement. We're really excited because registration is open for our new summer workshop, Limitless Potential, an Enneagram Roadmap for Educators. One of our highest callings as an educator is to discover and develop potential. We love recognizing an undeveloped strength in ourselves or in our students. We all love witnessing those light bulb moments when we can literally see potential come to life. In this workshop, you will learn about the tool of the Enneagram. You're not just going to learn your type. You're also going to learn the key to understanding yourself and others in ways that will help improve your relationships, communication, classroom motivation and management, and ways to help reduce the effects of trauma. The more we understand people, the more we can change lives for the better. We'd love to see you June 6, 2024 in Dubuque, Iowa. For more details, head to our website at inspiredtogetherteachers.com. Did you know that there's an invisible support that is available to all of us? Life is challenging. We need all the support we can get. How do you become connected to this kind of system or even help create it? That's what we're going to discuss on today's episode. Hey, teachers, have you struggled to balance your work life and your home life? Do you want to make a difference and still feel like you can be present and purposeful in your life outside of school? Welcome to the Inspired Together Teachers podcast. This is not your typical professional development. We focus on you, not strategies to teach content. We're Paula and Michelle, award-winning educators with the passion, knowledge, and experience to support you as you navigate the challenges of our profession. Are you ready? Let's get started. Let's start out by setting the stage for this sometimes unseen immense power of community that we have, this system of support. And we're going to start with a story. It takes us a little bit out into nature. It's a quote that we absolutely love. Zachary in 2000. It's an old quote, but for 20 years, we have held true to this quote and we hope you enjoy it too. So here's this quote. Ecologists tell us that a tree planted in a clearing of an old forest will grow more successfully than one planted in an open field. The reason it seems is that the roots of the forest tree are able to follow the intricate pathways created by former trees and thus embed themselves more deeply. Indeed, over time, the roots of many trees may actually graft themselves to one another, creating an interdependent mat of life hidden beneath the earth. This literally enables the stronger trees to share resources with the weaker so the whole forest becomes healthier. I love that. And I can also picture that web of tree roots and how they support each other. I love it too. And that quote goes on just a little bit further. He says, similarly, human beings thrive best when we grow in the presence of those who have gone before. Our roots may not follow every available pathway, but we are able to become more fully ourselves because of the presence of others. I am who I am because we are. I love that we're more fully ourselves in the presence of others. And I am who I am because we are. Paul and I both connected with that so strongly that you'll notice that we have the tree in our logo, a tree with roots underneath it. And you'll see it in our graphics and on our web pages because it represents growing and it represents being connected. 
we both talk often about how our strong school communities have shaped who we are as teachers. Think of my very first teaching job. I was in a school where I felt so welcomed into that community, that system of support. The teachers were absolutely amazing. And I really feel like that first teaching job at 22 years old shaped the direction of my career. The teachers, teachers who had been there, mentored the newer teachers coming in, that they embraced us. We all had a common cause, a common purpose. If you think back to episode number two, we talked about purpose and that really providing motivation. We had a purpose. We were examining co-teaching and what did that look like? How could we possibly do that in this school? And the principal had given the teachers the autonomy. Again, back to episode two about motivation. If you haven't been there, he'd given us the autonomy to decide what that would look like. What would our exploration look like? And it was a group of teachers who had come together and they were sharing resources, sharing ideas, saying, oh, don't redo this. I already did this. You can learn from me. That has shaped me. That community was so strong. Every time someone had a baby, all of the teachers in the school made a quilt square. One of the administrative assistants then would take all of the quilt squares and put them together. I cherish the quilt squares that were put together into quilt for when I had my first child. I couldn't have imagined starting in a better system of support for me. It is such a great story of the power of community. I'm also going to share an example, but first I'm going to share a quote from someone that many educators know, Sean Aker. He says, success is not just about how creative or smart or driven you are, but how well you are able to connect with, contribute to, and benefit from the ecosystem of the people around you. That connects perfectly with the tree story that we talked about and that connection that you have in a power team. I was working with a team of teachers and we were given the task to rethink a typical junior high, eight periods a day. Every class was separate. Every teacher taught seven sections a day, 150 to 180 kids a day. And our task was to turn it into more of a middle school model with teams and communities within a bigger school that could more focus on student needs. At first, I was a little apprehensive about the task, but it turned out that the team was very energetic. They were very capable, very very smart people. They were interested in the cause. This was going to transform the entire school and they wanted to get it right. And I found the energy amazing. I found the inspiration amazing. We worked so hard on that project and ultimately it was incredibly successful. I think it was because of the power of the team. No one person could have done that task and done it so successfully. It was the kind of task that needed a really strong team working together. That just ties right back into that tree, right? Well, in the roots underneath, we're able to become more fully ourselves because of the presence of others. We can be our best self in that presence. But not everybody has that all of the time. We've both been on teams where it wasn't like that. So how can you identify a struggling support system, maybe at school or at home? And it is unfortunate, but it does happen. And so what does that look like? Well, there might be a mistrust of other teachers or a mistrust of administrators. People don't feel safe to share or be vulnerable. People will tend to work alone or in small silos. The fourth grade teachers will work well together, but not with other teachers in the school, for example. Often a lack of communication. So people don't know what's going on and what's happening and who's doing what. Sometimes there are even secret meetings that don't involve everyone, which is a real sign that there's a lack of trust. The atmosphere can often be tense and unpleasant and frustrating and uncomfortable. There are very few community events or community celebrations. Little socializing 
exercising outside of school. Nobody's doing yoga together. They're not making baby quilts. And ultimately, when these kinds of things happen, the school culture really does suffer. It carries over. Students know it's not a place where people like to work and it's not a place where people can thrive and where they can grow. And when it happens, you have to ask yourself, you know, like the tree, where are the branches that need attention? What do we need to look at and what do we need to change? I think often we don't like to acknowledge if we're in a system that is not working for us, right? Sometimes it just seems like it's an overwhelming task. How do we fix this? I don't even know where to go with this. I think we've all been in those situations. That leads us to this next point, which is how can we strengthen our support system, whether it's at school or whether it's a personal support system? And as Michelle and I have mentioned in previous episodes, we love to read the research. We love love to know what is happening in the business world that we can pull from that. Because fair or unfair, teachers need to be the ones to elevate our profession. We need to be there for each other and lift each other up. No one is coming on a white horse to save us. And sometimes it's like, well, the system needs to change. The administrators need to change things. Yeah, that's all true. That does need to happen. But teachers are more powerful than they believe and have more power to change the culture than they think they do. We might not be able to change the whole system of education, but we can at least change our personal support system. And that's what we really found some strength and some wisdom in a book called Culture Code by New York Times bestselling author Daniel Coyle. Daniel Coyle looked at all kinds of groups. He looked at successful groups that work really well together. It didn't matter if it was a military group. He studied inner city school groups. He studied movie studios. Anyone who had been identified as this group has a really strong culture. They have a successful culture. And of these highly successful groups, he found three things in common. And we just want to share this with you as you're assessing, well, my groups at home or my groups at school, what do they have? He found these three things. Highly successful groups build safety among their members. They share their vulnerability and they establish purpose. And so we're going to take a little bit of time to talk about what each of those look like. Building safety, what does that look like? He was looking for patterns and he said the pattern was located not in the big things, but in the little moments of social connection. He didn't say building safety is you do this, 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 and you implement this whole school-wide policy. He said, no, it's in those little moments of social connection. And when he expanded on that a little bit, he said, here's some things that I saw in the patterns of interactions in groups where they really had built safety. They had eye contact, not just eye contact. He actually called it profuse amounts of eye contact. They had more eye contact than a regular group. They asked lots of questions and they had humor and they laughed a lot. And they did little things for each other, like saying thank you or opening doors for each other. And they didn't interrupt each other. He just found a ton of those little physical and social interactions that helped to build safety in the groups. We want you to think a little bit about some groups you belong to. Does that happen? Is there a lot of eye contact? Is there laughter? Are you saying, please, thank you, not interrupting? And how do you feel when you spend time with those groups? Do you feel safe? We bet you do. And also, you know, it works for teachers, but it also works for students. If you think of greeting them at the door with their name and smiling at them and giving them lots of eye contact throughout the day, all of those are tiny little things. They don't even cost money, but they're tiny little things that can make a huge difference. 
even in your family network, building safety, it really matters. All of those little things, those small moments of social connection, which we have the power to control. He also found that along with building safety, there was some sense of belonging in that. So if you build safety, it creates opportunity to belong. He Again, he talked about that eye contact. You could do that. He watched people's eyes and he found that people who raised their eyebrows showed they were listening more. Their body posture showed a steady stream of like, yes, I'm listening to you. You don't need to buy a huge curriculum for your classroom to build safety. You can do it by creating that sense of belonging. And so much of it is the way in which we interact with each other. Those are great suggestions. And I I love the simplicity. It's simple and complex at the same time. But I think when you hear that list of things, you think we could do that. Or maybe you're saying we do do that. We have this really welcoming, positive culture where everyone feels like they belong. But if not, you think about, wow, would it be so hard to do some of those things? I don't think so. The second suggestion he made for these highly successful groups was that they shared their vulnerability. This one really speaks to me about sharing vulnerability. He said, if you share your vulnerability in a group and you encourage other people to do it, your group will just automatically be more successful. He had a quote, and I love this quote. He said, exchanges of vulnerability, which we naturally tend to avoid, are the pathway through which trusting cooperation is built. Vulnerability is the pathway through which trusting cooperation is built. I love that. He goes specifically into how do you build cooperation into groups and individuals and how can you make that all work? I think we can imagine what that looks like as teachers. How can we be vulnerable? And he talks about two moments when vulnerability needs to be established. The two moments, if you're forming a new group, maybe this is your new class at the beginning of the year, a new social group. He said the two key moments are the very first first time someone is vulnerable and the very first disagreement. And he said how the group reacts to those set the tone. I love that. So think about if you're forming a new group, you have a new team member to your grade level team, you have a new mom in the mom group, those moments of vulnerability, the first time someone is vulnerable and the first disagreement, how much we're willing to be vulnerable makes all of the difference. And those are really connected to that whole idea of building safety, too, because if you don't feel safe in a group, you will not be vulnerable. But if you do feel safe, then you feel like you can be vulnerable. And those are just signs to look for. Michelle and I, in preparing for this podcast, talked about several different instances where we had to be vulnerable in a classroom um, or chose to be vulnerable in our classroom. We were able to think of many examples. And I know not everyone has the school culture to be vulnerable. And we know that we were lucky to do that. But even in your classroom or at home, finding ways to increase your vulnerability. My favorite example of this is I was teaching kids who had been kicked out of the public school for behaviors. It was a school for um, kids with significant behavioral needs. They had had a turnover of teachers and they didn't have a lot of trust. They had kind of formed their own group, like we're the kids and then there's the teachers who don't really understand us. And they were giving me a little bit of a hard time when I first started there and they didn't really trust me and I needed to build that trust with them. 
So I did an activity and I said, if you had all of this kind of money, what would you do with it? They were like, oh, I'd buy a car. Oh, I'd do this. I Oh, I would do that. And they were going to do all of these things. And I said, let me tell you what I spent my money on. I spent my money to get an education degree. And then I spent more money to get a master's degree with an emphasis on students at risk. And I knew I was moving to this state and I called this school to see if I could get a job. I put myself out there and said, I really want to come to your school and get a job. And I did all of that. And I walked in here hoping you would accept me. So I'm hoping you'll give me a chance. You could have heard a pin drop in that room. They thought I was just going to be this person coming and going. And when I said, no, this is what I spent my money on. And this is what my hopes and dreams are here in this position. And I wanted to be here and I called to be here. It really set the tone for vulnerability moving forward. That's a fantastic example. And I'm sure that when they heard that and they listened to that, you know, they're thinking this lady wants to come here and teach me. Can you imagine how that made them feel in terms of value? And then if they feel valued, wow, where can that go? Because how are they going to act if they feel valued versus how would they act if they feel like nobody wants to be there? Nobody wants to teach them. They don't have worth. And that changes everything. It does. It's in those moments of vulnerability when you build the trust. It works in your home life too. I'm going to give you an example of vulnerability on the other end of the spectrum, because we always like to talk about school and work. And then we also like to apply the concept to the rest of our lives, to home lives. So here's my thing. And it was really vulnerable in the beginning. Uh, When my parents both passed away, suddenly my siblings and I and our children, grandchildren had no place to go for Christmas. Essentially, Christmas was done as a group. And one of my purposes is is to keep my family together and to keep my family strong. But I had just bought a tiny little house. So that first year, we didn't have a Christmas and it broke my heart. I wanted to see my siblings. I wanted to see all my nieces and nephews and the new babies. And I wanted to have that experience. I actually bought a different house because I wanted to have the family parties. I wanted to host family gatherings so that I could keep my family connected. But there's a vulnerability to that too, because hosting in your home is vulnerable. Like, everybody's going to be in your house. They're going to see, you know, where the cats scratch the furniture, or maybe they're going to judge the mismatched dining room table settings that I have. That kind of opens you up. I know a lot of people don't like to have people in their home because it feels vulnerable to them. And I just had to say, I'm not my parents and it's not going to be Christmas the way my mom did it, but I'm going to do the best I can to have Christmas the way I do it. And I was just open and vulnerable. And I thought, well, if they don't like it, they won't come, I guess. But they did come this past year, we had 40 people house and it was special. And I loved it because I was willing to be vulnerable in my personal life. You bring up a great point when you talk about the purpose. That's your purpose to keep your family together. That's actually the third thing that Coyle found of these successful groups, building safety, sharing vulnerability, and establishing purpose. He talks about those small efforts to clarify and decide what your purpose is. Those moments are so powerful. We talked about purpose when we referenced Daniel Pink in episode two. If you haven't listened to that, it's about motivation and purpose comes to play in that too. He says, If you want your group to be purposeful, you really need to decide what is the purpose and make sure it is clear so everyone is on the same page. Don't assume that you know what the purpose is for the whole group. Lay it out. And he suggests putting it in writing on the walls, putting it everywhere so everyone's on the same page. We ask you, what can you do in your school or in your work or in your home to promote safety and vulnerability with a clear purpose? It could be life-changing. 
to really build that support system. It may be like the roots underground that you don't even see, but it's there and it's necessary. And a little recap for today, true happiness and success can't be pursued alone. We need the support of others, those who get it and keep us inspired, help us think in new ways and collectively make each other better. I have one more little bit of movie trivia that ties in here. You know the phrase from Star Wars, may the force be with you. Well, the original phrase that George Lucas wrote was actually, may the force of others be with you. Whether you relate to the story of the matted tree roots working together to make the forest stronger, or maybe it's the force of the lightsaber, we want you to find the power and potential of being part of a strong community of those who can lift you up and make you better. In true teacher fashion, we always end our podcast with homework. So our homework for you today is to consider your support system. Take five minutes to really think about it and decide what is one thing you can do this week to make your invisible support system stronger. And if you find something that's really successful, we would love to have you DM us on Instagram or Facebook or send us an email. Let us know how did it work out for you. In closing, be sure to hit the follow or like button or subscribe button so that you will never miss an episode of Inspired Together Teachers. And if you enjoyed this episode, we would love it if you would go into your podcast host and write us a review. Reviews will help other teachers to find us and it helps us to build a strong community of inspired teachers. That's all for today. Class dismissed. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you'd like to continue the conversation, join us on Instagram and Facebook at Inspired Together Teachers. Or head to our website, inspiredtogetherteachers.com, for more podcast episodes, our award-winning blog, and free guides to help you be your best. Until next time, may you be inspired in your work life and home life to live your best life.